Well, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we have been in a sermon series called Do I Belong? And here's what we acknowledged. We live in a pressure cooker world, and when the pressure increases and things get difficult, and you know what I mean because your life has gotten more difficult in some way over these past couple months. There's been this meme. We might not all be in the same boat. Our experiences might not all be the same. The challenges we have might not be all the same, but we are all in the same storm. And I know that you have experienced that storm. And so when pressure increases, when challenge gets greater, the thing that we want to do is we want to go back to the basics and make sure some of our fundamentals are in place. And Here's one thing that is fundamental to all humans. Every one of us has a longing for belonging. But because we live in a broken and fallen world and we're broken people, that longing for belonging gets changed into a question. It causes us to wonder, do I belong? And so we gave three basics of church teaching, basics that all answer that question with a resounding yes, here, you definitely belong. We said, you know, belong, you know you belong because of baptism. And if you are a Jesus follower and haven't been baptized, reach out to us. We would love to celebrate baptism with you like we did with a couple of our members last week. Or if you've been baptized, you can remember your baptism because in baptism, we know that our belonging is not based on what we experience. It's not based on what other people say Our belonging is based on what God is doing in us and among us. And then we said, we know you belong because of communion. This sacred act that we practice on a regular basis that both demonstrates our belonging to one another and gives us a practice for living out that belonging with one another. And it was a joy to celebrate communion together. And I hope that our celebrations of communion shape the way you invite others into belonging through your life as well. But then the other thing we said is that we know we belong because of an image that we read in God's word that describes what this community is all about. See, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a letter, he wrote a couple letters to a church in a city called Corinth. And in what we call 1 Corinthians, Paul said that the church, God's people gathered all around the world, the church is the body of Christ. And just like a human body has a wild diversity and in its diversity creates the beauty and the brilliance of its singularity, so also the church, the body of Christ is not made up because everybody is the same and sees things the same and experiences the same, but we are the church because we're different from one another. And our unity amidst difference is part of what makes us God's people on earth. And so you can know you belong when you see just how different you are from the people you worship with. Well, as the preaching team was meeting and I was having some of my conversations about where the sermons would go into the future, we recognized that that image, the body of Christ, and specifically the way that Paul taught the church in Corinth how to be the body of Christ on earth, well, that's just another expression of some of the basics that we need to go back to in this high-pressure time. 
So we've now wrapped up our Do I Belong series, but we're kind of continuing some of the same themes, and so we wanted to both capture that new series and some of the continuity of the old series. And so what we're going to do is for the next five weeks, we're going to continue looking at the words the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Corinth in a couple letters we call 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And we're going to ask ourselves, in this world, in this crazy new, constantly changing reality, what does it mean to be the body? How is it that we can be the body of Christ for one another? And how is it that with one another we can be the body of Christ serving and loving those around us? That's what we're going to be doing together for the next few weeks. And I hope that you keep coming back to join us so that we can go back to the fundamentals of no matter what change is going on in the world around us, what are these things that never change about how we are the body of Christ on earth for the good of one another and for the good of others? And so here's kind of the guiding question we'll be asking. What does it mean to be the body in our fill-in-the-blank world? I think we're going to get that background off so you can read it better. There we go. What does it mean to be the body in our coronavirus world? What does it mean to be the body in our social distancing world? In our wearing masks world? In our job loss world? In our, the, the job is crazy and difficult now, world, in our digital schooling world. What does it mean to be the body in this world, right here, right now, that we're experiencing today? And our hope is that through this series, you might be able to answer with that much more confidence and certainty, I know what it means to be the body of Christ in my life today. Because here's what I know about your life. There's a lot of uncertainty in your life. No matter what different experience you had, whether it's job loss or increased job pressure, whether it's isolation and loneliness or your family's all together every moment of the day, whether you're uh, rising to the challenge or you're feeling defeated by the difficulty, no matter what your life is like, I know there's uncertainty. Well, we as a church community... One of our core beliefs is that no matter what's going on around us, there are some foundational certainties that never change, and that is the teaching of God, given by Jesus Christ himself to his apostles and through the apostles passed down to us in what we call the Bible. And that teaching never changes. So my hope is this. No matter what the uncertainty is in your life today, we might have greater certainty about how to be the body of Christ in our worlds today. Here's the first thing I want to suggest as an answer to the question, what does it mean to be the body? The first thing it means is that we are people who faithfully and consistently contextualize God's word to our world. Like I just said, God's word, we believe, is the teaching of God. It's a source. It's a truth. It's a guide. It shows us how to do well at life. 
Every human being bases their life on something. Every single one of us is following some truth or some teaching in our lives. Some of those teachings that people follow, we know they're destructive. They're painful. They don't work. They're life-draining. But the Word of God is life-giving, and in its truth can give you the strength you need to live in your life. But sometimes... The actual words in Scripture can be a little confusing when we try to apply them to our modern lives. And so one of the foundational works of the church is to take the Word of God and contextualize it to our modern world. And here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to kind of illustrate why it is that we need to contextualize God's Word to our world. And I'm going to do it by looking at one of the passages that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. If you want to go there now, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be looking just at verses 3 through 6, but those are actually part of a little longer chunk. You can read it if you want. I won't know if you tune out and start reading your Bible. I won't be able to see you doing that at at home, and, and I'm all for you reading God's Word on your own in your hands. But this teaching that we're going to read, it's it is a just perennially difficult, confusing, complicated little bit of teaching. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the ancient context. And my hope is this. By understanding the world to which Paul was writing, we might understand what Paul meant when he wrote to those people. But the sermon's going to end not with a uh, clear statement of this is what you need to do, but rather the sermon's going to end with some homework. And so either you're welcome or I'm sorry, depending on how much homework you've been having in your life recently, but the homework is going to be the work that we must do as God's people in order to be the body of Christ in our world today. So what does it mean to be the body? It means we contextualize God's word to our world And we're going to learn just how important that is right now. Read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 3. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. And pretty much all modern readers Read these passages and say, what in the world are you talking about, Paul? I don't know if you noticed, but all of the women who are helping lead worship today do not have their heads covered. And one of the men, or young men, Caleb, he was back on the bass guitar, I think, he had his head covered while leading worship today. And so we have to ask ourselves, whoa, 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 whoa. Paul said... Women should cover their heads and men shouldn't cover their heads. But we have some women without their heads covered and some men with their heads covered. What is going on here? 
Are we ignoring God's word? Or is there a context we need to understand so as to rightly apply God's word? Well, you already know my answer. I think there is a context we need to understand. So if you would, travel with me back to ancient Corinth. You may remember a couple of the little historical details we gave. Corinth was a new city. It was a, an old city that had died, and one of the uh, Roman emperors rebuilt it. And so there was this influx of thousands of people clamoring for this new economic opportunity in this brand new city called Corinth. And with all this influx came incredible competition that resulted in a city that was highly stratified. People wanted to get wealth and power and get on top. And the moment people were on top in Corinth, they worked hard to make sure everybody else got held down. It was a city of great wealth and great poverty. And it was a city where, maybe even more so than often in the world, the wealthy worked to oppress and hold down the poor. And that disparity was disgusting to even many of the ancient authors that observed what was going on in Corinth. And in that stratified world of high competition, the church of Christ was born. And the people of God tried to figure out what does it mean to be the body of Christ in our world today. And to that world, Paul said, one of the things it means is women, if you pray or prophesy, cover your head. And men, if you pray or prophesy, don't cover your head. So, What was men's head covering all about in Corinth? Well, there's a lot of different uh, contexts you could look at, but there's one I want to point out. If you were an ancient Corinthian man, the one situation where you might well cover your head, and what that probably meant was you're wearing a toga, you know, some sort of wrap garment that goes around your body, and you might, in one context, take that toga and put it up over your head if you had a leadership position in one of the many religious cults of the day. And being a leader in a religious cult gave you elevated social status. And being a leader in a religious cult with elevated social status meant that there was a good chance you also wanted to keep down others in their social status. So men's head covering was all about hierarchy. It was about the fact that people are not equal, and those on top want to show they're on top, and they want to keep others from kicking them out. Men's head covering was about social status, it was about hierarchy, and it was about leadership in the religious cult. So let me ask you a question. If I came up here and preached a sermon, or prayed, like I'm doing right now, and I did it with a hat on, or some sort of head covering. Would you think to yourself, oh man, there goes Carl. He's trying to show how he's better than everybody else. He's trying to tell me that we're not all equal, that we're inferior and he's more important. Would you think that if I wore a hat while I was up here preaching or praying? No, I don't think you would. I'm actually quite certain you wouldn't because in all the years that I've been preaching, not a single person has ever said anything like that. Not a single person has ever said, Carl, make sure when you pray, remember, never wear a hat or cover your head because people might think you're showing you're better than everybody else. 
But in the church in Corinth, if a man were to cover his head, the world around might look at the church and they might say, the leaders in that church are just like everybody else in Corinth. They're just trying to show how they're better than everybody else, create that hierarchy, and reinforce the inequality in our world around us. And so we see the ancient context is wildly different from the modern context. What about women? What about women's head covering? Well, one of the first things that women's head covering was about in ancient Corinth was about marital status. See, If you were a woman and you lived in ancient Rome, when you got married, or in ancient Greece, when you got married, you would wear some sort of a head covering, maybe a veil, maybe a shawl of some sort, and that would indicate that you were a married woman. It would indicate that you are no longer, uh, you know, available, you know, looking for a a husband or a, a spouse to get married to. We don't in our society have the same sort of tradition, but as you know, there are countries in the world where head coverings are still used as one indication of marital status. And so it could be that in the church in Corinth, if a married woman were to uncover her head during worship, it could be that people might think that religion teaches that women can separate themselves, maybe even dishonor or disgrace their husbands. It could raise all sorts of questions. But there's a second factor that makes it even more uh, uh, of a contextually crazy reality. See, Corinth was a place of great religious pluralism. There were so many different temples to so many different gods at that time. One of the main temples in Corinth was the temple to the goddess Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. Now, in many of the different religions at that time, there was a form of temple worship that we today might not believe was possible, but back then was incredibly common. Here's the way it worked. You'd go to a temple, and there would be female priestesses who led worship at the temple. And one of the ways you went to worship at the temple was by having sex with the female priestesses at that temple. It was, quite frankly, a form of prostitution taken on by religion and called an act of worship. And sure enough, the priestesses in these settings would often have their heads uncovered and their long hair let down as a way to indicate their role in these religious contexts. And so it's possible that if married women in the church prayed or prophesied, took on a place of leadership in the church, and they did it with their head uncovered, people in the world around might look in and say, oh, those Christians, they must practice religious prostitution just like many other religions did today. In fact, prostitution by many ancient writers was considered a normal and acceptable thing. And so if the ancient church was seen as practicing some sort of religious prostitution, it might have just been seen as, oh, okay, there's another religion doing what all the other religions were doing. A brief note, when Paul says pray and prophesy, what he means by prophesy might be very, very similar to what we mean when we say preach a sermon. 
prophecy in the ancient church and preaching in the modern church are very, very similar, if not in places the same thing. So let me ask you a question. When one of our preaching team members, Rebecca Sutton, comes up and preaches a sermon, I don't know if you've noticed, but she never wears a head covering when she preaches. Have you ever thought to yourself, when Rebecca comes up and preaches, have you ever thought to yourself, oh my gosh, Rebecca must be trying to dishonor her husband, and I bet she's demonstrating that she is sexually promiscuous. No! You've never thought that, because our world is wildly different than the ancient world, which is why, as people of God, we need to contextualize God's word to our world. Paul's teaching on covering and uncovering the head is not actually about covering the head, but rather in, in Corinth, head covering was about equality and inequality. It was about faithfulness and promiscuity. Paul was teaching the church in Corinth, you are the body of Christ, and in the body of Christ, all people are equal Not because of what we experience, but because of what God is doing in us. And Paul wanted the church to demonstrate that equality to the world around us. And Paul was teaching the church, saying, here in the church, God has been faithful to us, good to us, loving to us, caring for us, and therefore we should be faithful to, in a moral and ethical way, faithful to one another, not promiscuous in a way that we know is damaging. We read these ancient words, and if we don't think well about what God is teaching to his people, then we could read these words and we could think, this is all about whether or not we wear hats, when in fact, this is about witnessing our equality and our faithfulness as people of God. And therefore, our work as a church today is to read a passage like this and ask ourselves, how do we communicate our unity and equality, our faithfulness and our morality in our context? How do we communicate that in compelling ways that are effective in showing people the grace of God present in his people here on earth? Before I move on to the end, I want to say one other note. This passage, like I already acknowledged, it's a little crazy and it's a little complicated and there's a lot to be understood in order to rightly apply this passage. But I want to, I want to make abundantly clear one thing. Not all of Scripture requires this level of knowledge and study and understanding in order to properly interpret it. Let me give you a, an example of something very different. One of the Ten Commandments, right? Early on in Scripture, very well-known passage of Scripture, one of the Ten Commandments is don't murder people. And you know what that meant in the ancient context? It meant don't murder people. And you know what that means applied to our modern context? It means don't murder people. And you know what it would have meant in ancient Corinth? It would have meant don't murder people. It requires no context to understand in an ancient way. It requires no context to apply in a modern way. And the fact is, the core teaching of Scripture 
A God who created us and loved us. A God who has been faithful and redeemed us and showed his grace. A God who is sending us out to do good and care and show his love to this world. It doesn't require any understanding at all to hear that message, comprehend that message, and live that message with your life. But there are indeed other parts of Scripture where the context is more complicated and does require more learning. I just want to make sure we know it's not like the whole Bible is some sort of secret code book that no one can understand. No, no, no. The core truth of the Bible is true, or is, is understandable from people of all different backgrounds. But some parts are indeed a little more tricky. And that brings us back to our first answer to the question. What does it mean to be the body in our world? It means we contextualize God's word to our world. And so you just heard a teaching, an ancient teaching. And you just learned some of the context. That this ancient teaching is about demonstrating our unity and equality. It's about demonstrating our faithfulness and morality. And so here's my question. Centennial Covenant Church. People who want to follow God with your life in this pressure cooker world we live in. Here's my question. How might you demonstrate that in Christ all people are equal? There is no inequality. That the injustices and the hierarchy of the world around us is a result of sin and brokenness. But in God, all people are equal. How could you demonstrate that? in our world? How could you demonstrate that so much of the world around us embraces our brokenness? So much of the world around us embraces the things that are hurtful and violent and harmful, but in Christ, God invites us to do things good and loving and moral for one another as a gift both to ourselves and to our community. Church, how could you demonstrate that good news in our world today? Let me give you a few questions that you might ask in order to do just that. First, what do I know about my world? The only way you're going to make God's love real in your world is by first knowing your world engaging with the world around you, understanding the culture you live in, thinking about, reading about, hearing about, talking about, learning about what is this world that I live in. If we just detach ourselves from the world and we don't understand anything about about it, we will never be able to apply God's word. We will never be able to manifest God's love in our world if we just go off in a holy huddle and ignore everything else. Church, what do you know about the world you live in? How is it that you're purposefully learning about the culture you live in so that you can contextualize God's word and God's love to that world? As one example, we're all trying to learn what it means to live in a coronavirus world, in a global pandemic world. It's happened before in history, but it's not happened in any of our memories or experience. So let me ask you this. Considering this pressure cooker world we're all living in, ask yourself, what have I learned about my culture through this pandemic? What have we, the church, learned about our culture through all the changes that are happening? 
And considering what we're learning right now, today, brand new cultural understanding, based on that, how should we live so as to make God's love real to this world? Just like me covering or not covering my head wouldn't communicate today what it communicated then, so also in all of our lives, we must learn how to make God's love through his word real today, in this context, in this place. And that, my friends, is your homework. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? It means answering this question, filling in this blank, asking ourselves day after day after day, what does it mean to be the body in our world? And as you fill in that blank, understanding all the different parts of that world, and as you understand or as you answer that question saying, this is how we make God's presence real, that act of taking the ancient truth of God and making it real today, that is what it means to be the body. There was a saint in the 16th century named Teresa of Avila. And I want to end by letting you read some words that she wrote long ago. I'll read them and we'll put them full screen on your screen at home right now. She said, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Church, you are the body of Christ. When Christ lived and walked on earth, he made the love of God real to people in a way that was transformational in their lives. And God's design is for you now that Christ has gone to be the presence of God to others through which God can transform lives today as he has done throughout history. Would you pray with me? Show us, God. Show us what it means to learn from your word and to take the truth of your good news, the good news that in Christ all sin has been forgiven, brokenness has been healed, and that in you we can make love real in this world. God, show us how to do that in our lives and in our world today. We pray. Amen.